of it. And I would say that in many ways, you're biased too, all right? And here's what I mean by when I say that I'm biased. I am, I am biased towards my children, right? How many of you would, would admit that you are biased towards your children? All right, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, we're just, we're, if we're just being honest, we are. Now, I, I think that, it, you know, I'm kind of a little bit old school at the same time. So, for example, like, uh, naturally, if my kid's telling me one thing and their teacher's telling me another, I'm going to believe the teacher. Now, I may be biased towards my children, but I also understand that my children um, will only give, they, they're, they're professionals that manage information. In other words, they're only going to give me what they want me to know. All right? So, you know, I try to be as objective as I can in every situation in my life. But, you know, I, I have a, it's just natural. It's natural for, there for me to be biased towards my children. As basically, as much as all loving parents are biased towards their, their children. Even, you know, Callie, who was speaking last week for Mother's Day, was talking about, you know, uh, the moms and, and how the mama bears exist inside of all the, the, the moms in a room. And, and that right there, that, that whole defensive mechanism that's there to defend your children, again, is that, that thing that's inside of us that God has created to put inside of us and, and to show maybe that bias because a lot of times, you know, that mama bear or that defensive nature even inside of me as a father will come out a lot of times when I don't even know the whole story, right? Because I'm naturally more inclined to be biased towards my children, all right? And the thing is, is that I am aware of this bias and that I have often have to, I have to intentionally sit back and look at every situation where my kids are and what my kids are going through and, and try to see if I am interpreting the situation through my bias or am I being as objective about the situation as I possibly can, right? And that can be a really, really difficult thing to do sometimes, to really kind of step back away from the situation, to try to remove the bias that I have towards my children or, or for my children, uh, and to kind of see things objectively. Because most of the time, you know, when you have to, you know, think about this, generally it's because, you know, when you're having to maybe step back and observe the situation, to take an inner look and to try to feel like if you're looking objectively, most of the time when stuff like that's happening is because maybe there's an issue at hand, there's a problem that you're having to deal with, maybe there's a, a need for some confrontation at some level, or whatever it is that's going on, all right? But there are times where dad has to step in because my children are unable to handle the situation anymore by themselves. So there are moments in my life where I'm going to have to step in and I'm going to have to do something um, about the situation that's going on because my kids are incapable of defending themselves or handling the situation anymore by themselves, right? Okay? And, And so... It's not one of those things where in my life where I want to step in every time something happens. It's not one of those situations where I, I feel like I need to run to the rescue every time somebody says something bad to them. Or every time somebody offends them. Or every time that they get a raw deal. Or every time their teacher doesn't believe them. Or whatever it is that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm faced with. 
I don't necessarily feel the need to have to step in in every situation. But I know that there are going to be times where I'm going to have to step in because they are incapable of defending themselves. And when that happens, a lot of times in those moments, they have to trust me that I'm going to handle the situation in the appropriate way, that I'm going to do what is in their best interest. Whether they like it or not, I'm still going to make the decision that's best for them at the time. They have to trust me when I'm stepping in those, in those moments. I know Landon in particular had a situation, you know, a couple years ago where um, he, was, um, he was dealing, he was having to deal with a teacher that was um, intentionally isolating him uh, in several instances and things that were going on. And of course, you know, when this first started happening, you know, I just kind of rolled my eyes and I told my son, I said, son, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be difficult people that you're going to have to deal with in life, all right? So you may be dealing with a difficult teacher now. She's not the first one you've had to deal with. She's probably not going to be the last, all right? When you grow up and become an adult, you're going to get a job. You may have a boss that's difficult to deal with or somebody that just, you know, whatever. So you're going to have to learn how to respect your position and authority. You got to learn how to overcome this and to do what's right in the midst. And, and, and I kept, you know, you know, reaffirming that particular position over and over again. And then, you know, I started hearing information from people that didn't even have a dog in a fight that were telling me things that were happening, you know, to him, you know, in the classroom and all that kind of stuff. And then I think what really kind of set, you know, really kind of, knocked things over was um, he was going through his mid-year exams and uh, he was taking this exam. I asked him at the end, I said, how did you do on the exam? He said, oh, I, he said, I did really well. I, he said, uh, I feel really good about it. I think I got an A. I was like, okay, okay. And, and then the ne- very next day, she posted the exam grade and it was an F. <laughs> so my first inclination is to go to my child and be like, why did you tell me that you felt like you made an A on this thing when you made an F, okay? You know, of course, I'm really upset at this particular point, and I'm trying to have this little come to Jesus talk with him, and he's like, Dad, he said, I'm telling you, he said, there's just no way I made an F on this exam. I'm just telling you, it just didn't happen. And I'm like, well, it happened because that's your grade, okay? And so I, I, I stayed the company line, but at that point, you know, I got a little curious, right? And so at some point, right, dad's got to step in. And so at that point, I went to the a, a administrator at the school. I told them kind of what, um, the, I told them kind of the situation that was going on with this exam grade. And I just said, hey, I want him to have what he deserves to have. If he deserves an F, I want him to have an F. And, and he'll, you know, pay the price for whatever he's doing. But he is really, really confident that he didn't do that poorly on the exam. And I'm just curious, and I think, because what ended up happening was the grade, his exam grade, just happened to be low enough that it took his semester average from an A to a B, from like a 90 to an 89. <clears throat> or it was going to be an A, I guess depending on where he was, a, high, a low 90 or a low A to an 89, which was a B. I thought that was curious. I also thought that it was, it was interesting that the week before that, I kind of got an email from the teacher, and there was kind of some threatening verbiage, like, I would hate for his grade to suffer, 
you know, all this kind of stuff for just some really petty type things that were going on, right? But I wasn't going to get into that. So um, I found it really weird. So I went to her, I said, can we get maybe somebody, an unbiased person in to maybe look at the exam, look at the exam that was given, look at the key that was there, the answers, and, and just kind of observe it without knowing who the student is or what's going on. And that's what she did. She brought in um, another teacher in the school that taught the same subject, said, you know, here's, here's the test. Here's the, um, the test that was, here, here's the key. Here's the test. Will you look at this? And he comes back, this guy, the, the, the te- other teacher comes back and he says, well, hey, you know what? There's some things here where he didn't maybe follow the instructions. He didn't write all this stuff. He said, so, you know, he got this little group wrong. He got this little group where he didn't follow the instructions all the way. He said, but if I'm grading everything as it is, he says, you know, it should have been like an 84, uh, the exam grade should be, all right? Which was, again, uh, only further evidence. And so it was that point where I finally just decided to kind of, you know, speak about all the history that was going on and all the things that I was hearing about. All right, so it was one of those things where, you know, you know, while Landon didn't do as, as good on the, on the exam as he thought he did, but there was something that was happening that was behind the scenes where he wasn't capable of being able to defend himself anymore. And he ended up having to kind of hand it over to me and I had to step in and he had to trust me when I stepped in to make sure that I was going to handle things in an appropriate way. And, and we were able to come to a solution, an agreement moving forward with that particular class and with that particular teacher, right? But he, he, he ended up having to come to a place where he trusted me, right? He trusted me to step in and to go to bat for him, right? Even though he knew that I'm not always the one, I'm not going to be the person that always believes everything that he comes out of his mouth all the time. You know, in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, the Bible says, the Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. You see, God acts in the same way towards us that we do for our children, right? But better than that, he acts towards us better than we act towards our children because he's not, he's not affected by, um, you know, impure motives or He's not affected by not having all the information or not having all the facts. He's not affected by a limited understanding or, uh, a, a, you know, a, a strong bias or something like that. He's not affected in the way that we are towards our children. Okay? He has full knowledge and full understanding of everything that's going on. And the Bible says that the Lord fights for us. He goes to bat for us. He defends us. All of these kinds of things that the scripture says, right? That this is what God does for us. And so in return, what he does is he asks us to trust him. So God fights for us and he says, I just want you to trust me, all right? Trust his, the wisdom that he offers. Trust the love that he gives us. Trust that he wants what's best for us. Trust that he wants to ha- give, give you and want you to have a bigger a life than, than even you can deliver for yourself. All of these things are things in our lives that God wants us to trust Him in. And you see, trust in and of itself, trust gives meaning to your marriage. 
Trust gives meaning to your family. And, and, and all, it, it gives meaning to all other relationships that you have. As a matter of fact, I would say that it's, trust is one of the most foundational elements to every relationship that exists. Without trust, relationships fr- fracture and fragment. When you can't trust your spouse, right, the relationship begins to be broken. When you can't trust your children, the relationship begins to be broken. When you can't trust your parents or you can't trust your, your boss or your coworkers, relationships begin to be broken and fractured, right? And when we live our lives in a way where we don't trust God, okay, it puts um, problems within our relationship with with Him. It creates difficulty in our life inside of our relationship with Him. And this is an important aspect. You see, trust can define your career. Trust defines your morals and your ethics. It, It defines your attitude towards money. All of these things is what trust does and what trust, how trust is important. And, and the, the thing about trust is, in our relationship with God, is that you cannot trust God casually no matter what you tell yourself. You cannot trust God just maybe just a little bit. Like, well, I just, you know, I'll trust God in these areas of my life, but not in these areas of my life. It just doesn't work that way because once you establish that there is an area of your life where you don't trust God in, okay, then in essence, you don't really trust God at all. So if you don't trust God with your relationships, if you don't trust God with your future, if you don't trust God with your present, if you don't trust God with your health, if you don't trust God with your finances, if you don't trust God with your family and your marriage and all of these different things, your career, okay, then there's areas of your life where you say, I just, I just don't trust God at all. And I trust my own ability to handle whatever it is that I'm facing in my life so that I can try to accomplish it on my own. You see, trust demands a choice. You see, trust demands a choice, and it needs your mind, it involves your heart, and it requires your will. Trust demands your mind, it needs your heart, and it requires your will. All of those things are important when you want to talk about trusting God. And so, as we're talking about do I trust God? Can I trust God? Um, let's look real quick in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 and 3 at a guy who had to learn to trust God. And he becomes a great example to us in Scripture. One of the, one of the first and prime examples of it throughout Scripture. Even though all of Scripture, in a way, continues to point us to this aspect of trusting God. God. Can I trust God? And I think this is an important thing. You know, again, I want to, we understand and know the Sunday school answer to the, can I trust God answer? But what about the areas of your life that you're not walking in obedience to God's word? Right? Because I would say if there's an area of of your life where you are not walking in obedience to God, then in that area of your life, you do not trust God. 
Because trust requires that you walk in obedience. Right? Trust requires that you walk in obedience, that you follow what it is that God tells you to do. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from the co- your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor um, and and." And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right? This, this moment in Abraham's life was a distinctive uh, act of God to invite Abraham to trust him. That's what it was. All right? It was a distinct act of God to invite Abraham to trust him. All right? And... And, and so God sends this message to Abraham. He's kind of living in this particular place. He's living around all his family. And God says, I want you to pack up all your stuff. I want you to leave your family. And I want you to go to the land. Notice that he didn't even tell him where the land was. He just says, I want you to go to the land where I am sending you. All right. And, and so in order for Abraham to do this, he had to trust God. And so we know the story, right? Abraham did what God told him to do. And of course, because of Abraham and Sarah's obedience, they just lived happily ever after. Didn't they? Huh? Abraham and Sarah's life, they just, because of their, their, their obedience to God, to trust that everything from that point was just smooth sailing, right? Well, um, we know that that's not true. You know, or I mean, if you you know have any knowledge of biblical stuff, we you, you would know that that's not true. Um, you see what happens here from this particular time, right? Because you remember what he says. He says, um, he says, I'll, I'll go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. All right. Um, I, so if a person is going to become a great nation, then that person needs to have um, kids, right? I mean, if a person is going to establish themselves and become a great nation, uh, back in that day, it's not just, it's, it wasn't about accumulating a bunch of people because that's really not what God told him to do. God told him to take his family, to pack up his immediate family and go, and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. All right, so we know the story, right? That Sarah's barren, all right. And when when God gives um, Abraham this message, Abraham, you know, is about I think they're in their sixties, uh, you know, which is not a good place to be if you're thinking about starting a family, all right. So not only does God come and give them a promise that seems to be unrealistic, we know that Sarah's barren. Not only is she old, but she can't have children, period. All right? And so God gives this promise that doesn't seem to make sense, but it required an act of faith and trust on Abraham's part. In other words, they weren't going to become a great nation if they didn't go and do what God told them to do. And then on top of that, you know, it, it wasn't their responsibility to make themselves as a great nation. It was their responsibility to, to obey God. If they didn't obey God to leave where they were to go into the new land, 
then it's likely that God wouldn't have blessed them in the future with the promise. But they were required to do what they could do so that God could do what only He could do. All right? But it required trust on their part. Trust in God. To trust that God knew what He was going to do, that He was going to make them a great nation, that all the nations were going to look at them and call them blessed, and all this kind of stuff. And in that moment that Abraham's in, that didn't seem to be a reality. It didn't seem to be something that could probably that was that was really going to happen. But Abraham trusted God anyways. And what happens from that particular point? They they move out, they go to the land that God called them to, and 10 years go by and God still hasn't fulfilled the promise to them. They trusted God, they walked away from their family, they went to the land, packed up all their stuff, went out there to the wilderness in the land that God wanted to give them, and 10 years goes by and they still haven't received the promise yet. And at that point, they're their trust begins to waver, right? You see, more than once, Abraham made decisions that were inconsistent with his trust in God's promises. More than once, he feared um, other nations and other kings and therefore decided to call his wife his sister so they, and, and do this weird thing. And it was like, well, hold on, God said that you are going to be blessed and you're going to be favored and God's going to make you a great nation. And yet, here you are. You trusted God enough to leave. But now that you're out here and the promise isn't coming when you think it should come and your trust begins to waver, he begins to make some decisions that were contrary to the promise that God gave him. It was contrary and you remember um, several years later we're past the 10 year mark of of their their obedience to God and going out there that Sarah finally says well you know hey take take my servant right so when God it doesn't fulfill his promises we're going to try to make them happen on our own he says, take my servant and have a baby, right? And their, their desire to um, try to fulfill God's promise on their own power created only more division and heartache and problems inside of their family instead of them just trusting God. You see, God wanted Abraham to trust him. And what Abraham's problem was, and this is the problem that we have a lot of times as, when it relates to trust, is that when God gave Abraham a promise, he didn't put a timeline on the promise. He didn't put a timeline on it. He just said, go, all right? He said, go from this place into the land, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And this is what we do sometimes as well. When God gives us a promise, when he tells us that he's going to do something, or that we feel God is leading us to do something, or to be something, or to go somewhere, or to accomplish this goal, or to fulfill this task, or to, to reach these people, or to, to see things change in relationships, to th- see things change in our children, to see things change in our marriage. Oftentimes what we do is we put a timeline on it. And, and so we trust God, 
to the degree that we mentally agree that God's word says certain things about our life that should come to pass. But then what happens is, is when they don't happen um, in the time frame that we think that they should happen, we all of a sudden can get really discouraged and frustrated by what it is that's not happening. And, and, and then we begin to question, did God really say what he said? Is he really going to do this for me? Is this really going to happen? And we begin to question the promises of God upon our life because things aren't happening within the time frame that, that we think that they should happen. And, and most of the time, this is the greatest problem that we all have as it relates to the promises of God. I mean, how many promises of God have gone unfulfilled because we have become impatient with the timeline of God? How many, how many dreams in the lives of believers have gone unfulfilled in our world today because we give up on the dream because they don't happen in the time frame that we think they should, they should happen. And God never gave Abraham a time frame. He didn't say in five years this is going to happen. And in ten years, Abraham's thinking, well, this was supposed to happen five years ago. Why didn't it happen five years ago? Maybe God's not faithful to his promise like he said he was. But God didn't put the timeline on it. Abraham and Sarah decided they were going to put the timeline on it. Well, God hasn't acted as quick as we think that he should act. So maybe we ought to try to fulfill it ourselves. Maybe we should all, you know, try to figure this out and help God out a little bit. God didn't put a timeline on his promises here. And we make this mistake in our lives as well when we decide, you know what, I think it's been a little bit too long when God told me he was going to do this, um, then, you know, um, it can get frustrating. I know in my own life, it's been frustrating. God called me up here to plant this church. There's been seasons where things have gone really, really well, and there's been seasons where things have gone really, really bad. And it's been frustrating. I didn't think when I came up here to plant a church that 10 years into it, we'd still be meeting in a school. I didn't think that that would happen. I thought that, in, 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 and here's the problem that I had in my own life. I put a timeline on what God wanted to do. And, and, and we are right where God wants us to be in the season that God wants us to be in. And there's a particular reason. And the moments in my life where I'm the most discontent is the moment where is the moments in my life where I feel like that God hasn't done what he told me he was going to do in the time frame that I thought that he should do it. And that could create, you know, a, a sense of despair and this disheartening. And I, I even know in a way some of the feelings that Abraham could have had in those moments, you know. Wasting away those years, living those years out thinking, man, man, 10 years have gone by. Surely if God wanted to do something, he would have done it by now. And Abraham having the same issue, 
that God visited him and told him, hey man, this is, this is the promise that I'm going to make you a great nation and, and, and you know, your, your descendants are going to be the numerous of the stars and the sand of the, of the beaches and all this kind of stuff that God's given to him, these visualization, these things that, that, that he can reach out and grab, right? And 10 years goes by and I know what it's like to live 10 years holding on to a promise and feeling like the promise, you're not getting any closer to it. Right? And here Abraham is. He's in the same place. And, and, and then he, his trust begins to waver in God. His trust begins to waver in the presence of God. And he begins to kind of manipulate things and force things into being and trying to make something happen when it isn't God. It wasn't God moving. And you know what? It took 25 years. It took 25 years before Abraham and Sarah finally received the promise. God promised them something, and 25 years later, they finally received the promise. That's a long time to wait, isn't it? Don't you think so? Huh? When I'm sure they're probably hearing about other other cities that are growing, booming, other nations that are becoming strong and great, hearing about other families, maybe even some of their own family members' families are just thriving and doing so well. That's a long time for Abraham to wait. 25 years, God gives him a promise and makes him wait 25 years before he fulfills the promise. you know that once that happened though that Abraham didn't have a problem trusting God anymore (laughs) right because then God gives him the promise and then several years later he says hey um, I want you to take that child of yours that I gave you in the miracle and I want you to take it up on the mountain and I want you to sacrifice it to me right and Abraham wasn't like, but God, this is the promise. How, how can we, how can I be a great nation if you're asking me to sacrifice my only child, the miracle child that you gave me? Abraham didn't, he didn't have any of that with God anymore, right? So this, this journey that Abraham went through of trusting God and making several mistakes along the way led him to this place where God fulfilled his promise, and then all of a sudden, it's like all of Abraham's trust issues got fixed. Now, the truth being known is that the story is there for us to read it so we can look back and see, you know what? Don't be like Abraham and make all these mistakes along the way. Because you're only going to create more and more issues in your own life. Don't be like Abraham and do this kind of stuff. Just trust God in the process. Right? And so in the end, God, you know, Abraham trusts God. He takes his son up there to sacrifice him. What does God do? He comes through at the last second and gives him another thing to sacrifice. But Abraham knew at that particular point, man, God was faithful to do something that was impossible to do. It was impossible for me to make. And any of my, my you know, efforts to try to help God out in this process only made things worse. 
And look what God did. And if God did that, he could do anything else. And, and he began to trust God in every area of our life, of his life. You see, for us to trust God, for us to have full trust in God, we have to trust him in three areas of our life. The first area of our life that we have to trust him in is we have to trust him with our minds. You've got to trust God with your mind. And you know what this requires to trust God with your mind? It requires biblical knowledge. It requires knowledge about the Bible. Like, how can you trust God in areas of your life where you're not aware of what the Bible says about that area of your life? You can't trust God in an area of your life if you don't understand what the Bible says about that area. So if you're ignorant when it comes to certain scripture as it relates to certain things in your life, it's going to be hard for you to trust him. So if you're not aware of what the Bible says about your health and you start dealing with some bad health, it's going to be hard for you to trust him in that area of your life because you don't know what the scriptures has to say about that. If, if you don't know what the scripture has to say about finances and what the Bible has to say about generosity and giving and how it becomes a great blessing to you and how it brings increase into your life, how are you going to trust God with your finances if you don't know what the Bible has to say about your finances if you don't know what the bible has to say about your children that your children will walk with the lord forever and you don't know the scripture of that that, that that speaks to the children of the redeemed and you don't know that how are you going to trust god with your children when they begin to walk away and begin to stray a little bit from the path that you raised them on you see in order to trust God in any area of your life, you have to have biblical knowledge of what the Bible says about that area of your life. So you have to trust him with your mind. The second area that you have to trust him is that you have to trust, you have to trust his goodness with your heart. So the first one was to trust his truth with our minds. Second one is we have to trust his goodness with our hearts. We have to trust that God is good. Right? We have to trust him that he is good. Um, and this requires spiritual intimacy. This requires spiritual intimacy. Right? That we trust God that he is good. That even though that there are questions that we don't have all the answers to we still trust that God is good we still trust him in our heart and the only way that you can really get to that place as I just said where you can just trust that God is a good God the only way that that really can come that in your heart you trust him that he's a good God is it comes through intimacy with him it comes through time spent with him in his presence, knowing that he's good. There are times in my life where I can look around and I can think about all the things and the struggle and the, you know, in the moments of your life where it seems like anything that, that's bad could, you know, is going to go wrong, where, you know, it, when it rains, it pours, you know, there's always those moments of your life where se things seem to just pile on top of each other. And those moments, you know, just going through the pressure of life and dealing with the issues of life, it can just be overwhelming and burdensome. And inwardly, you can begin to doubt, like, does God really care? Does he really, 
Is he, is he really mindful of my plight and my situation and the things I'm going through in my life? Right? And all of that changes, though. All of that changes when I get into his presence. All of that changes when I, when I put all that stuff aside. I put on some worship music and I begin to worship him. All of that changes. And all of a sudden, I recognize, you know what? God is good. He is good. And I may be going through some stuff right now. But he does care about me. He has not abandoned me. He has not left me. And the, the, to be in a place where you trust him with your heart, you've got to have moments of intimacy with him. And the third way that we have to trust him is that we have to trust his ways with our will. Okay? So we trust his truth with our minds. We trust his goodness with our hearts. And we trust his ways with our will, right? And what is your will, right? What is your will? Your will is your obedience. Your will is the way that you live your life. Your will is the way that you walk, the things that you do with your life. And this requires, in order to trust God in his ways with your will, all right, it requires holy obedience, all right? Holy obedience, and you remember what I said earlier, that if there's any area of your life where you are not walking in obedience to God's word, okay, you cannot say that you trust God, okay, because trusting God requires that you obey him, that you obey what he tells you to do. If my kids trust me, they will trust when I tell them, hey, don't touch that, you know, stove because it's going to burn you. And how many know when they're young and they just feel like they're going to touch it anyways, because they think, Daddy don't know nothing. I had my four-year-old the other day tell me, you don't know nothing, Daddy. I'm like, girl, you about to find out. <clears throat> of course, in her limited understanding of what was going on, um, you know, she said that because, like, I called her Jesslyn on accident. She's like, you call me Jesslyn, you don't know nothing. I'm like, all right, keep running that mouth. <clears throat> but... You know, our, our, our ability to trust God, we have to, we have to know, okay, we have to trust his truth, knowing what the, the word of God says about the situations of our life. We have to trust them that even when it doesn't make sense and even when it doesn't add up, that God is good. And we have to trust him with obedience, with our will, that not only do we know it and believe that God is good and he will take care of us, and that, but that we actually walk in that obedience that we actually step out there and obey what God tells us to do in every situation of our life, that we walk in obedience, okay? No matter how difficult, no matter how much it doesn't make sense, no matter how crazy it sounds, any of those kinds of things. When we walk in obedience, God is faithful, all right? He is faithful and he is good. All, and so when you, if there's an area of your life where you lack trust in him, where you lack trust in him with your mind, or you lack trust with him in your heart, or you lack trust with him in your will, it throws everything off in your life, in your spiritual life, in your spiritual world with God. It throws everything off and gets you all discombobulated, and, 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 you're, and you're just not spiritually sound where you're supposed to be. And you can feel like that you're all good and you're in the right place and be 100% in the wrong place. You know the, the, the Sunday school answer that, yes, I trust God and God can be trusted, but you don't live like you trust him. God wants you to live like you trust him. 
your faith will grow the more you trust, your trust can grow in these three areas of your life. The more your trust can grow in these three areas of your life, the more your faith will grow. And it is one of the most foundational elements and things that happens to us in your life. When you think about, um, even if you go all the way back to the very beginning, in, in, in the fall of man, all right, the, the foundational issue there with the fall of man is that Adam and Eve um, decided that they didn't trust God. Right? Lucifer came up to them and said, you know, and he begins to question the word of God. Right? Did God really say that if you eat off this tree, you, you will surely die? He begins to question the word of God. And what he does is he creates um, an issue of trust inside of their hearts to the point to where they decide to do what they were told not to do because they didn't trust God. And so every act of disobedience that we have in our life today fundamentally is an issue of trust. Do we trust God? Do we trust Him enough to, to listen to His commands in our lives to make sure that we live the right way, that we act the right way, that we do the right thing, that we follow His commands and be the kind of person that he, He's called us to be? All right? Um, it's, it's a, a choice that we make, right? We choose not to trust God, right? So, um, you see, God was looking for people to trust him. He wanted Adam and Eve to trust him. God needed um, someone to trust him when he flooded the earth, when he decided, you know what, I'm going to start over because man was too selfish and too evil and all the things. Listen, even in that moment, he needed somebody to trust him, you know? That Noah, even though he never even knew what rain was, he didn't know what a flood was, right? That he could build a boat big enough to house all these animals and stuff like that. And, and, that, and that he would trust God at his word, even when it didn't make sense, right? He needed someone to trust him when he wanted to start a great nation, when he wanted to start the old, the old covenant, this covenant he started with Abraham. He says, uh, you know, you're going to be blessed, and I wanna, I'm going to create this once... You know, God said, I'm going to create this one side of covenant where I'm going to do all the work for you. I'm going to do the work. The only thing that you've got to do is just walk in obedience. All right? And, and uh, even in today, okay, today through his redemption uh, and, and what Christ did on the cross, he asked us again today, do you trust me? All right? There's, there's never a moment in your life where you don't need to trust him, right? There's, there's never going to be a point in your life where you're going to outgrow trust in God, where you're going to become so spiritually mature that you still don't need to trust God. Trust is important. And not only can you trust him, right? He is trustworthy, right? But we should trust him because it is foundational to our relationship with him and in our life of faith with him. Will you stand to your feet this morning?